Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, good morning, everyone. We are live from New York City as Good Morning New York gets underway on this Tuesday morning at this hour in 2017. Paul Massey ran as a mayoral candidate for New York City here uh, in uh, focusing on education, housing, and homelessness while also providing solutions for how to improve quality of life in the city. He then decided to step out of the race against an incumbent. In July of 18, Paul Massey and his partners launched a new commercial brokerage firm, B6 Real Estate Advisors, short for Building by Building, Block by Block. The investment sales and capital advisory firm specializes in the middle market, $1 million to $200 million, $200 million buildings. We will talk to Paul this morning here live. Also at this hour, New York City's skyline is unmistakable, and it's also ever-changing. These days, that change is dramatic thanks to super-tall buildings like One uh, World Trade Center, which joined other famous buildings like the Empire State Building and the Chrysler Building, and reshaped really how the city looks today. You can't miss these buildings rising very high above the city, and chances are you've likely been hearing a lot about them in the news in recent years, but do you really know what a super tall is? We're going to break that down for you with the panel, so let's get at it. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I'm Vince Rocco, and you are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. Uh, I want to just uh, give a shout-out to a good friend of mine who started a new podcast recently. Jeff Goodman is now hosting Rediscovering New York City on Talk Radio Dot NYC. Uh, Jeff takes us through a different New York City neighborhood each week with historians and with his own impressions as a native New Yorker himself. It's got very good content and worth a listen. The show is live each Tuesday evening at 7, so uh, look for it on iTunes and take a listen. In the news this morning, given the exorbitant costs and limited inventory of the city's brownstones and townhouses, owning one is not in the cards for the average New Yorker, but despite the long odds, most of us still dream of landing that holy grail of New York City homes, and why not? Even in this city, a true row house can be had for something close to a regular person budget, especially with rental income factored in. According to listings databases, there are several in Brooklyn and Queens for under $2 million, many with rental units. Uh, the most expensive home in the ca- country sold in New York for $238 million. Hedge fund billionaire Ken Griffin closed on the Manhattan property at 220 Central Park South. Last week, his spokesman said, the nearly 24,000-square-foot apartment takes up several floors at the top of a tower designed by architects Robert A.M. Stern and developed by Vernado Real Estate Trust. The sale is the most anyone has paid for a home in the United States. The previous record was set in 200, 2014, also by a New York property. That home in the Hamptons sold for $137 million, according to statistics, and I believe... Uh, one of our good friends just put a listing for $100 million on the market out in Los Angeles. We'll wait and see what that's all about. Taylor Swift has successfully shaken off a pesky lawsuit in New York as the judge just tossed out a case brought against three companies linked to Swift, Firefly Entertainment, 13 Management, and Euro Tribeca by a Douglas Elliman broker. The lawsuit was first filed a year ago when Douglas Elliman uh, claimed that he was cut out of a deal to represent Taylor Swift in her purchase of a townhouse at 153 Franklin Street and asserted that he showed one of Swift's, Swift's reps the property in February of 17 and also gave them blueprints uh, of the interiors. The broker alleged that there was a written promise that he would be exclusively representing Swift in the deal, and then her management company intentionally excluded the brokerage 
from the sale and commission, which comes to about $1.08 million. The property sold for $18 million. Apparently, the federal judge didn't believe the Douglas Elliman broker and threw the case out of court. What you going to do about that? Harry Macklow <clears throat> is at it again. After changing the New York City skyline and setting a record sellout at 432 Park Avenue, the iconic developer wants to take another shot at building a mega skyscraper, and that's to be named Tower Fifth. Macklow submitted a preliminary application to the city's planning department for a 96-story, 1,551-foot-tall skyscraper between 51st and 52nd Streets in Midtown, just across from St. Uh, Patrick's Cathedral. This would make it the second tallest building in the Western Hemisphere. Only the Freedom Tower would be taller. Wow. It's all about size in this town, isn't that something? <laughs> Incredible. All about size. My guest today is Paul Massey. He's on his way, so we're going to start with the panel, and we'll get to Paul in just a minute. Um, so I have today with us Niall Lundgren from Compass, Phil Horgan from Freely and Leasebreak.com, and Ari Harkoff from uh, Halstead. All right, so Phil, I want to start with you. Last week, Street yeah. Easy said that if you want to be the only agent listed on your exclusive, that is uh, get rid of Premier Agent, you have to pay $333 per month. However, in order to do this, you have to enter your listing manually directly through Street Easy. Uh, this part of the announcement uh, is getting overlooked. No one seems to be really focusing on this. Make no uh, mistake, the recent Street Easy pronouncement is by far the most aggressive move to date. There is even a sleight of hand at work here. In fact, the most important announcement has been overshadowed by the new monthly fee of $333. So, I mean, what what is what what is the impression out there to the broker community? What is everybody feeling? I mean, Street Easy has been, uh, you know, to coin a phrase, playing games now for over a year between rental fees and now sales fees. What gives? What's happening? First of all, I don't think I've seen as much outrage Um as I've seen from this last one. This this last announcement has created so much outrage. I sent an email out about a week ago. I got more responses from brokers, from managers. I mean, it's almost like, I, I really think this may be the time when people finally start to realize what's going on. But basically, they, I, I mean, I could go at this so many different ways, but Street Easy became Street Easy because they smartly at the time went to all the brokerage firms and got the listings on their website through a feed. They they basically went directly to each firm and said, give me your listings. And by the way, don't worry, we're not going to charge you. We're for the brokers. Don't worry about it, right? When you're trying to create a marketplace, you have to get the listings, you have to get the traffic. So they got the listings and then the traffic followed. Now, they have this created this website, which is basically a monopoly on the traffic. And now these other, what, what happened was the RLS, the revenue RLS now allows consumer websites to plug in. So now any website can now plug in and get access to those pretty much those same listings. So Street, Easy's, Street Easy's strategic advantage is going to be gone soon. They know this, but what they're trying to do is they're trying to have every single agent post directly on their website. There's no question that that is the name of the game. And they're doing it in a very sly way. What they're saying is, premier agent's failing. You know, we're not going to admit to that, but this is basically what they're saying, right? It's failing. It's not doing well. And so how about this? You don't like premier agent. You could pay us a lot of money, three, three, three a month, three hundred thirty dollars a month, and you could have your listing appear with only your name on it exclusively. Your listing can appear with only your name on it. Is <laughs> that is it's, that it's right? Ab- it's absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, which to is me. crazy. But there's a catch. The only way to do this is you have to manually enter your listing. 
And what they're really trying to do is oh, that's not going to happen. Most right. firms are not going to allow that. Well, I, smartly, a lot of firms have pushed back. Pretty, I mean, firms yeah. are. But here's the weird thing: it's an odd, it's an odd choice you're giving firms because now firms are basically saying. We'll keep Premier Agent on our listings, which they hate, right? We'll keep it on our listings because we're not going to post manually on your site. And the reason why they don't want to do that is what it appears to be is Street Easy is trying to cut out the broker, essentially. They want to own as much of that revenue from the agent as possible. And if they could have a direct relationship, could you imagine if every single agent in the city is posting directly on their website, how much control that would give them, this, how much this, additional this opportunity for revenue? very corrupt. Yeah. Very corrupt. Uh, I just don't understand how any of this makes sense. I mean, going back to the days of, you know, uh, before all of these wonderful systems, we had an easier time in real estate here in New York. It's unbelievable, unprofessional, not necessary. So I'm, I'm waiting to see what <clears throat> what flushes out, you know, with all of this stuff. It really is going to come down to all of the individual brokerage firms and to see how they uh, how they handle it. Our firm hasn't uh, made any decisions yet. They're still deciding or thinking about it. But I got to tell you something. You start charging people three hundred something dollars per month per listing in a marketplace like this, where listings can be uh, on for six months or better, and you've got multiple listings. You're going to bankrupt these agents. They're right. not going to pay for it. And, and, it's not going to happen. And remember that right now, these bigger firms that have not cut their feed yet, that still feed thousands of listings to StreetEasy, they have enormous leverage, theoretically. Yeah. They still have some leverage over StreetEasy by saying, give us better pricing, Do you know we're going to cut the feed, we're, you know, all this kind of stuff. If they don't have that leverage anymore, if everyone's posting individually, then the leverage is completely gone, and StreetEasy essentially will own every single agent. And all these other firms like OLR and Realty MX right now, I mean, those firms are getting revenue and StreetEasy sees that as additional revenue opportunity. Why should you post directly with OLR and Realty MX, StreetEasy's thinking, when you could post directly with us and we'll provide that role. We'll cut all these guys out. That's what they're thinking. And I mean, it's, 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 it's actually scary because we've seen what they could do with just a little bit of power. Or a lot of power at the moment, so they think. But we'll, <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, we'll see. Um, what what are, what are some impressions from the other uh, agents that we all know and love and 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 work with out there? I mean, I, my impression is that it's crazy and it shouldn't happen. But I mean, you know, as soon as I got say. as soon as I got the the email from Street Easy, first thing that I saw was it said coming soon, right? So there's been a trend in in real estate brokerage recently. If you have a listing, you're going to say, okay, it's coming soon. So the first thing that I said is, oh. It seems like they might have an announcement, right? But it also kind of felt like it would, they were mocking the agents, right? It felt like distasteful. Okay, coming soon. And then it said when you open it up, and I have it right here, it says, this year we're offering a brand new way to increase your presence on sales listings. Get premium branding on your contact box and market yourself directly to buyers on your own listing. On your own listing. So, right? You're so, procured. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. You, that you work for. So there's the premier agent program, which allows other people to market and have their name on the box for your listing and get the leads that you should be getting. So they're saying, okay, on your own listings, we're going to allow you to do this and we're going to charge you $333 a month. What a great opportunity. As soon as I, as soon as I got that email, I forwarded it to, to Phil and I said, this is, this is absolutely unbelievable. It just, it just, it was just distasteful. Um, and I could tell you just from, from my office alone, agents are not happy. It's, 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 uh, right. It goes right in the face of what we are, we're doing as brokers. Um, and it undermines us. It's, it's sad. 
I'm, I'm not so happy it's at all. It's just unbelievable how they, their business model could really, really go directly at the agent. Go ahead, Ariane. The sorry. problem is, you know, so we as an industry essentially have only ourselves to blame. I mean, we allowed this to build into the animal that it is. And Absolutely. from a consumer perspective, StreetEasy is ubiquitous with essentially being an MLS. And so the problem is they... They first captured the consumer for free, and now we're sort of stuck going along for the ride because there is no viable alternative. And to dial back the clock to 2004, whenever it was when they got going, and build up the network effects and the brand awareness and the consumer awareness is basically impossible at this point. And so the problem is we're all we're all stuck with whatever they're going to give us to a certain extent because the industry as a whole has not been willing to get together and align between the major broker firms, small brokerage firms, et cetera. And consumers and buyers and renters still look at this as if I want to look for an apartment in New York City, I go on StreetEasy. Mm-hmm. That is the online MLS in New York. Unfortunately, thing, that's true. The one thing I will say is that it is changing now because you can't treat your customers this way and there to be no consequences. And I'm telling you, when I, I speak with a lot of agent groups and a lot of agent firms, and most of them tell me that they're getting new leads from other websites that they've never gotten leads before on the rental side. And the, the reason, side. I and agree with that. But the reason getting, is because, right, and the reason though is because if you have a marketplace and when you destroy that marketplace, which is what they're doing, because when they started charging for rentals, half the listings came off the site. So they went from 32,000 32, to 15,000. 15, yeah, yeah. Crazy so stat. Now, you're, ah. a, you're a consumer. Ultimately, the inventory ultimately will be the thing. You're going to start hearing that, well, they don't have everything. What's the matter? You're going to start looking at other websites. So if they do the same thing on sales, which it seems like they're about to do, create this pay-to-play marketplace, if they require you to pay for your sales listings, the same thing's going to happen. So I agree 100% with what Ari said, but I do believe over time, it's a, the cracks are already appearing. Yeah. Their traffic's down on rentals. I have the numbers to prove it. Their traffic is down on rentals, which is a surprise to a lot of people, and it's going to continue to happen that way. And, and so we'll see what happens. But All right. got to take a break. Paul Massey is here. We will talk to him exclusively right after the break. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America uh, Talk Radio Network. We will be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling. 
whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-294. 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We are back, and Paul Massey is here. He was born in Boston, Massachusetts, and he attended the Roxbury Latin School. He graduated from Colgate University with a bachelor's degree in economics. Paul began his career at CBRE and soon became head of the market research department in Midtown Manhattan, then as an investment sales broker. He founded Massey Knackle Realty Services, which we are all familiar with, together with his colleague Robert Knackle, whom he met at CBRE, the company became the New York metropolitan area's dominant commercial investment sales brokerage firm. Boy, is that the truth. With over 225 employees serving more than 200,000 property owners, Massey Nacco Realty Services was consistently ranked New York's number one investment sales firm in volume for 14 consecutive years. As the CEO uh, of Massey Nacco, he led the development of the firm's strategic initiatives, including geographic expansion as well as the growth of the firm's service lines, and at the end of 14, Cushman Wakefield acquired Massey-Knackle, and Paul was appointed president uh, of New York Investment Sales. In 2017, Paul ran as a mayoral candidate for New York City, uh, primarily focusing on education, housing, and homelessness, while also providing solutions for how to improve quality of life in the city. He then decided to step out of the race against an incumbent. In July of 18, Paul and his partners launched a new commercial brokerage firm, B6 Real Estate Advisors, which we're going to talk about today, short for building by building, block by block. I think that's genius. I like that. Uh, The investment sales and capital advisory firm specializes in middle market, one to $200 million properties. Paul is also a member of numerous organizations, including Rebney and the Lower East Side. So B6 stands for building by building, block by block. Your company name is more than a tagline. It's a philosophy that says each commercial real estate property is unique and distinct. Paul, can you explain that to us? I think, first of all, the name is incredible. Um, what do you mean by unique and distinct uh, in this crowded world of, of commercial real estate? Well, every building is unique and distinct uh, by tenancy and use and zoning, but really it, it's a nod to um, our, our former business model, which is that we were in every submarket, we were in every neighborhood, and uh, they all have distinct dynamics. And if you understand that, you uh, have a 
big competitive advantage. Yeah, I mean, on the residential side, I think that we would all agree that it is the same thing. Each listing is unique and distinct. Each seller is unique and distinct. Uh, you know, anytime you go to market with a property, at least in my case, it just never seems to be the same. <clears throat> so you adjust your strategies and your philosophies and your, your whatever uh, business plans to get, you know, that property sold. All right. So the B6 um, model caters exclusively to owners. So I was reading in, in my research. Explain that for us. Our second big competitive advantage is that we represent sellers or or help people finance. So this business, the new business will be uh repping people selling their building, but also helping them finance um, if they want to refinance, construction financing, equity financing, development financing. Um, so we're coordinating hand in hand our, our sales agents and our debt brokers, um, which we think is the way forward in the commercial space right now. I think it's um, much more of a position where you're a competitive uh, strategic advisor for the client. Um, but a big strength for us was, um, even from our first business that we only represented sellers, that most firms have a conflict where they're repre- representing tenants and buyers. Um, and so there comes a point in every transaction where the, the seller s- is wondering who's representing me. Mm. Um, eliminating that conflict was a big gulp because when when buyers would walk in our office and say, I've got $50 million, I want to spend it on a building. We, we effectively said, look, if, if we have what you want, we're representing what you want, we will uh, happily show you that. But if not, um, we're just going to stick to uh, our side of the transaction. And what happened was um, we noticed the clients really, really appreciating that. And I think more than half the people who retained us did so because we were conflict-free. Well, on the heels of that, your company offers trust, transparency, efficiency, and a serious tech edge. Okay, for the hyper uh, competitive, for these hyper competitive times where having human intelligence, operative words here, backed by hard data that translates into investment returns. So how does that differ from your business model in the past at Massey Knuckle or any other endeavor you were involved in to make B6 now kind of stand out among the, the players out there in today's marketplace? Yeah, well, with our with our first business, Massey Knackle, I think we and others at that time did change the world a little bit because we sent our troops out into these sub-markets. They fed mm-hmm. us back, back market intel, and then we fed that market intel to the, the right. commercial market for free. Right. We, we gave it away, but what it did is provide transparency around what things were really trading for so people felt comfortable uh, making the investments they were making. So change the world a little bit that way. Especially with our new debt business, we have technology now that's going to let us track and create heat maps for who's lending where, what banks are lending where, what interest rates, what loan-to-value ratios, what loan types, what product types. So we're going to take that market intel from our, our uh, agents out in the marketplaces and feed it to the consumer. So that will cause a more competitive banking climate and I think most certainly uh, reduce costs of loans, reduce interest rates. And when your debt burden is lessened, your asset value goes up. So hopefully we and others involved with this technology are going to make properties worth more just by virtue of transparency. Now, we could not do that several years ago with our first business. We didn't have the technology and the technology partners, people like Reonomy, to to do this. 
Um, so the world's changing again, and we're happy to be uh, to be part of the, uh, the the change. Let's let's talk a little bit about technology. First of all, explain to me what is a heat map. I'm curious to know what a heat map is. Heat map I could put in front of you right now a, a map of Brooklyn, and on that map you'd be able to see uh, pictorially what lenders are lending where. You'd have Got dots it. all over, scattergram, dots all over a map showing you um, the intensity of where people are lending, who's lending, that type of thing. All right, so as far as technology is concerned, does newer, faster, and smarter technology enable your agents to leverage on behalf of their clients? I mean, you just said that you know, you're chasing you know, the newer technology. The competition for talent is ever-evolving, is an ever-evolving market out there. And unfortunately, well, or fortunately, you know, these agents, whether on the residential side or on the commercial side, really look to map themselves with companies that are on the cutting edge, as we used to say, the bleeding edge of technology today, because it's ever changing, as you say, and it, and it keeps moving. So how are you dealing with that? Yeah, I think you have to embrace the fact that you want to be on the bleeding edge. That's a, uh, that, that's a great expression. Every agent out there is assessing uh, what their firm is doing to support them. And I think technology can support them a lot. We have a fantastic customized CRM system, which does a lot of work for the agents in terms of identifying who their clients are, trends that affect their clients, and and helping them with their work process. So if I were an agent today, I'd be looking for a firm like ours where we're all about helping them, thinking about them, and we've made a really dedicated effort to help them We've customized our CRM system so that I think a lot of you have probably had experience with CRM's customer relationship management systems where um, they're clunky, um, they're, they're, they're not made especially for what you do. We've stripped away all the things that a, a normal off-the-shelf CRM system does that has nothing to do with our business um, and, and made it very, very efficient for our agents. And they, they know that, they appreciate it. When they come to work, at our new company, they they say things like, "I've been waiting my whole life to see this kind of advance." Um, so, so we're proud of that. But I think every firm should be thinking about that um, these days. And um, again, with our old business, our first business, and and this one, we're always thinking about how can we be in the way of technological advance, um, not caught off guard by it. Yeah. This past year has seen an unprecedented shift in the landscape of residential and commercial real estate brokerages in New York established, and newer agents have been uh, presented with a very tough marketplace. How are your guys at B6 dealing with what they've been presented with the past year or two, 18 months or two years of sort of a sluggish marketplace in both commercial and in real estate? What, what, mm-hmm. are, what are your thoughts on where we were, where we currently are, and where you believe we're going as a market? Yeah, so... It has been sluggish in uh, the commercial market for the past three years or so, since um, toward the end of 2015. And uh, we're optimistic about that. I think people lost their data points. 2014 was a record year in all regards in commercial sales. So uh, people have been taking a breather. And I don't think uh, that's a a completely horrible thing. I think that uh, we're looking forward one of the things you have to understand about our market is if you're selling a building and paying the taxes and the fees associated with it, there's a reason that might be non-economical why you're selling, a, you know, settling your estate, partnership dispute, 
um, you just want to retire. You you've worked hard your whole career, and you you're you're ready to check out and uh, and sell sell the property that you've been running. So, <clears throat> we think that a lot of our clients are really making life decisions, not purely economic decisions. And if you've had a slow market for a couple of years, um, life has to move on. Life's mm-hmm. going to move on. So I think 2019 is going to see a big uptick in commercial sales because people have made decisions, want to make decisions, want to move on. I think the average- And need to in a lot of cases. Yeah, that there are 200,000 buildings out there in, the, in in New York City. It's a vast market. On an average year, 3,500 of them sell. For the past few years, it's been 2,600, 2,700. Right. I predict we see over 4,000 sales in 2019, which would would put it in a in a top five velocity range. Um, so I think um, you know our seven year old company is probably in a pretty good spot. That sounds good to me. Uh, all right, so we have a lot more with Paul uh, Massey on the other side of the break. We're live from Blast Off Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. What defines your success? Is it success in your business? Success in your personal life? Is it more money? Is it meaningful relationships? How about your passion? Listen for Taking Care of Business with host David Wallach. David's guests share their challenges and what they did to overcome them. What if you can let your passion for success lead you to your success? Taking Care of Business is broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, real estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with Paul Massey, um, Niall Lundgren, Ari Harkoff, and Phil Horgan. So, uh, Paul, um, what, you know, in, again, we just talked about the sluggish marketplace, and hopefully 2019 we're going to see, you know, a lot of upswing in, in sales and in activity, both on the commercial and residential side. But, what, you know, what, 
What are the goals for your company, you know, in 2019 going into next year uh, that may have differed from 17 into 18, 18 into 19? Is there anything that 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 is different about how you are strategically um, planting your firm in this marketplace this year? Yeah, so our firm is brand new. We opened for business July 1 of 2018, so seven months ago. Our goal in 2018, our first partial year in business, was to uh, onboard 20 teams of building sales brokers and debt brokers. Um, we've accomplished that. We have a goal for this year of 30 teams, so we want to ramp up rather quickly. So we want to have complete coverage of the metro area with building sales uh, with all our territories filled out, and we want to have 20 to 25 debt brokers partnering with those sales brokers. So we'll have a big, big army of folks out there looking to help our clients, and um, we're, uh, we're excited to be doing that. Okay, so you unexpectedly ended your Republican campaign to challenge Mayor Bill de Blasio of New York in 2017, citing the cost of running against an incumbent as the reason for pulling out of the race. Tell us what inspired you to begin with to take a run uh, as mayor of this fine city. And what did you learn from that campaign? So, first of all, I would have loved the job. It, yeah. it would have been a fantastic thing. Anybody uh, be better than him. <laughs> you said it, Vince. Thank you. The, uh, what inspired me was um, I was here prior to Mayor Giuliani and Mayor Bloomberg as a young guy uh, moving here from Boston. I thought I would come to New York uh, to get experience to go back and get the job I wanted in commercial real estate back in Boston and fell in love with this place in about a month. But when Mayor Giuliani took over and we had eight great years of him getting us disciplined and organized, and then um, Mayor Bloomberg followed with 12 years um, that were unprecedented, the, the totality of that is that we had 20 great years of solid leadership, different styles, different men, but leadership. But lead, it's solid leadership. But leadership. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're, we're, we're completely missing that now. And that inspired me to uh, to run. I used to think uh, running was a, a really neat experience. I used to think I was Mr. New York because our first business, Massey Knackle, was in every submarket. But when, when I went out there from a political perspective and meeting people and talking to people, I learned, I learned even more about our communities. Um, I met great folks of all kinds. And um, so the whole experience of running for office was fantastic. What what people don't really understand when you embark upon a campaign is the grassroots effort, as you just described, mm. is getting out there and meeting people and talking to people and understanding who the constituents are and who the people are that are going to vote for you, need to vote for you, want to vote for you, et cetera. That isn't an easy task, and it takes a lot of time. So how do you maneuver through, you know, also being very busy doing your day-to-day -day stuff, your work stuff, and then campaigning for, for mayor? What is the goal at the end of the day when you, you know, go home at night and put your head on the pillow? It's like, you know, I really was inspired by these people. I really want to, you know, take on this, this job, and I really want to be the best mayor in the city. As you said, we came from 12 or 20 years, rather, of, of fantastic leadership and great stuff for this town. How do you feel like you can compete with that and, and get these people out there to vote for you? Well, when you get out there and you <clears throat> realize what's happening, you've got 74, 75 distinct neighborhoods, all with their own concerns, all with their Absolutely. own folks. Um, very different from each other, but they all love being part of this fabric, if you will. So you, you learn that and then you see what people's concerns are and patterns emerge. We've got 
uh, a public school system with a million kids in it that I think are being terribly underserved. There are some good schools, but a lot of the schools are failing, and that's just cheating a million kids, and um, that affects their job prospects. That affects our employment base, um, but we really have to do something about that. Also, we do need to be more pro-business. I think the state is to be commended for um, having Amazon come in and having Google double down on New York, those things are going to have massive positive effects on the business climate here. But if the, the mayor were pro-business, um, a lot could be done. So there are a lot of things out there. The third big thing for us is we have a housing crisis. We have yeah. a low and middle income housing crisis. And if you have a housing shortage like that, um, and it's very difficult or impossible to be middle class in New York, will be a barbell city where a lot of rich folks and a lot of poor folks, that does not work. That is not the kind of community we want to live in. So you'll learn a lot when you go out there. And, um, you know, if I was in love with New York before I started that effort, I'm, I'm is more in love with it now. It's This is the, I don't think I'll ever have national aspirations, but woe be our country if New York is not the capital of our country. One of the things you talked most about in, in when you were running was improving the quality of life in this city, which, you know, we all know is very difficult to live here. It's the, it's all of our great loves. It's all of our place that we want to be. But it's, it's you know, it's challenging to live in this town, especially, you know, uh, when things change so dynamically. I mean, we really don't have a middle class anymore in New York City. We're lower income to kind of, you know, really rich or, or, or very comfortable. How did you feel like you could balance that? I mean, that's one of the things. One of the things you have to realize about the mayor's job, and um, Mayor Giuliani had metrics and data on each of the city's 53 departments. There are 335,000 city employees with 53 different departments. So he was tracking, if you will, the P&L or the output of each of those groups. And that, that made crime sink that made the streets clean that ma- that made that allowed the city to help homeless people who have mental health issues all that happened and um it, 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 at a very personal moment mayor giuliani told me that he um never expected to be to be succeeded by someone with michael bloomberg's discipline and he he actually allowed that Mayor Bloomberg improved many, many of the city departments because he was a data guy. He was a disciplined guy. Um, and I thought that was an amazing compliment from one of our heroes and one of our one of our great New York City mayors about another New York City mayor. We need that level of focus. That, that, that means you've got to show up at City Hall in the morning and make sure the trains are running and make sure the trash is getting picked up and make sure you're out there helping people and it requires that full-on focus. All right. So with all that said, are you considering another run in 2021 <laughs> when Mr. de Blasio's term is up and we need to move on from whatever that was over the last eight years? I mean, do you, do you I mean, consider well, it at I'm, all? Or? I'm quite committed to the, my partners at our new business. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure about 2021. I also uh, would have some uh some work to do, uh, having my wife sign on for another, <laughs> another run, <laughs> but, uh, but you never know, uh, down the road. And, um, I would really, really strongly advocate for anyone who wanted to, to take up, uh, that leadership role. I mean, you, you've got a great love for real estate. Obviously you've been in real estate in this town for many, many years. Could you really step out of the real estate industry or the real estate realm, uh, and take on, you know, city issues or city life or, political life, so to speak. I mean, politics is, is not easy. 
No, I think it, I think it can be a great rewarding thing. So I think um, real estate will always be there. People are asking me, you know, um, how is it starting a new business? And the reality was it was never work for me. So it's a, it's passion. But uh, New York City is another passion. And I would, uh, I, I think anyone who's going to dedicate themselves to uh, helping run the city should do it with uh, singular focus. Do you take that that passion for B6 now, you know, where you are today and where you want, you know, with your goals of, you know, 30 plus teams this year, whatever, do you take anything from the past from Massinaco, which, you know, at least in my my realm, was a super, super successful company. And anytime I ever thought of commercial anything, you guys were the first to uh, pop into my mind. And you, the teams or the, or the agents that worked there were, were so, you know, um, in it. And they were so willing to work with us. I mean, so how do you take all of that and say, all right, so I've got to continue to to be inspirational to the new people, again, in the down marketplace. But, you know, how, I mean, how does B6 really succeed today? Um, and then going forward, really, I mean, making a mark as number one, like Massey was for all of those 15, 14 years, whatever. Yeah, so I always thank my Massey Knackle partners, especially Bob Knackle. We we had um, we had twenty six years of fun, but I think um, looking back and dissecting that experience, there are several things that um, come out that I think we're going to enjoy at B six. One of which is that we were coaches and mentors to a whole lot of folks, and are proud of that. We you know. I can walk by some of our old agents today or, or, or meet up with them and they were 24 yesterday and now they're 38 or 40 years old and they're successful and happy and their families are happy. So that's a point of immense pride. I think um, a good manager is probably like a Joe Torrey who um, doesn't quite care what they're paying Derek Jeter or, uh, or A-Rod uh, and can live vicariously through the success of his, his or her players. Um, but but I I hope to that we're like that. I hope our management team is like a, you know, a Joe Torrey who's a servant leader who's highly functioning, and and lot of lot of um, lot of uh, satisfaction in that. The other thing is you know we're we're out there wanting to change the world, so we're making strategic decisions about how we grow our business, and um, we're going to make mistakes doing that, but we're going to have a lot of successes. Hopefully, we'll be right fifty one percent of the time, and um, and and there's. Uh, it is great joy in, uh, in 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 executing a plan like that. You're out there wanting to change the world. We're also hoping someday you want to change the city. We're not <laughs> going to we're not going to rule out a potential future run. Paul Massey from uh, B6 Real Estate Advisors. Thank you so much for being with us today. We appreciate it, and please come back and visit us again. Thank you. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters. Performing at the top of their game, each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. 
It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back. We're talking to Phil Horgan from freelyandleasebreak.com, Niall Lundgren from Compass, and Ari Harkoff from uh, Halstead. Uh, all right, New York City skyline is is unmistakable, as I said at the top of the show, and it's also ever changing. These days, that change is dramatic, thanks to super tall buildings like One World Trade Center, which joined other famous buildings like the Empire State Building um, and uh, the Chrysler Building. A super tall is at least 984 feet tall, according to the Council on Tall Buildings and Urban uh, Habitat. So my, my question to you guys is, you know, when, when buyers are out there running around, you know, in this, in this new development marketplace, everybody is very intrigued by and very interested in super talls. From your perspective, what is, what is driving that want or need to be in one of these buildings? Is it height? Is it just, you know, the, the sexiness of it? Is it because it's just, you know, overrated in my opinion? What's the real reason that people are looking for these buildings? I mean, there's a certain cachet that that comes along with living in a super tall tower. A lot of them also are on the base of Central Park South or, you know, on Park or Fifth where you can kind of uh, peer over into the Central Park. And, and that's kind of the, the big uh, driver. You know, you get a lot of um, international investors that want that view. I mean, in New York City and you have a, a dead shot of uh, Central Park, yeah. and you can't really beat that. So, I mean, that's what a lot of these towers are giving. Plus, the amenities are unrivaled. Um, it's, it's like a full blown experience. You know, if you look at 220 Central Park South, I mean, it's like clubhouses and cigar lounges and amenities <laughs> up the ass, but, <laughs> but it's crazy. I mean, 157 opened in 2014, uh, a one year before 432 Park Avenue, but both of those buildings are still selling. Mm-hmm. So they've <laughs> stalled a bit because of the marketplace or because people just said, Hey, enough with these, you know, tall skyscrapers. I mean, I'm always intrigued by 
you know, the reason these buildings don't always sell because ultimately they need to sell. But their business model from the very beginning was, well, we're putting up something that's so different, so unique, so whatever. People are going to just flock to this. Investors, as Niall said, you know, people who want to live up in the sky. But why do they stall? I mean, there are there are apartments in both of these buildings. I think there's some good and to know. And then 220 sells a penthouse for $238 million. So it's like, where's true, the disparity? True. And you can look, I don't know if any of you guys saw that, but 60B at 157, which is a sponsor yeah. unit, just sold for a 24% discount. Yes. Let, let that sink in. Vince, 24% discount. What was discount. the final selling price on that? I uh, it was like $22 million. It was initially listed at like 31 or something yeah. like that. Well, So, you know, these guys need to sell. Um, and, you know, if you have multiple towers like Xtel does, maybe they're willing to cut deals. I think you also, I mean, so you have a couple things happening. One is you have an oversupply in a very small segment of the market. So that's the first thing. The second thing is when you look at that price point, these are wants buys rather than needs buys. So no one needs to buy a $22 uh, million dollar penthouse. There's no there's no need that I'm aware of. In 157, the homes that people buy on average are the third or fourth home that they own. Right, exactly. So it's very much a discretionary purchase. The other piece of the equation, I always remind people this, is you have a $3 million apartment, you take it down 10% to 2.7. It sells. There's a buyer at 2.7. When you take a $30 million apartment, you take it down to $27 million, it's irrelevant. It's the same buyer pool. <laughs> yeah, I, I still can't buy it, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And no one else can buy it with the exception of this tiny little fragment of the market. It's interesting if people actually looked around the market and they saw the number of new developments that are out there at all price points that have yet to sell out. No one is selling out. In this market, there is so much shadow inventory, the last 10%, 20%, 30% sitting in these buildings of hundreds of millions, not billions of dollars in real estate that no one's really talking about. These buildings are not selling out. And by the way, I think 157 started in like 2012, 2013. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Seven years. Seven years. Yes. How do you build seven years of interest carry into your pro forma? You don't. Seven years. You don't. And so, that's part of the problem that developers are having. It's it's a huge disconnect. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know exactly how this all plays out, but I think to Niall's point, you're going to see massive discounts on some of this inventory to move it because the buyer doesn't need to buy it, but the seller does, in fact, need to sell it. And by the way, you can't rent a $22 million penthouse. It doesn't work. The no. math doesn't work. No. It, it, well, people, people might want to do that, but it's, it's negative cap rates. Work. You can do a few of them, but you can't rent hundreds of those units. No. All right. Urban Diggs says your best offer usually comes in the first few weeks that you are on the market with your exclusive listing. Do we agree with that? Your best I, offer comes. I think it depends. So I, I would say it very well could be your best offer. So I always tell sellers that. Like, we just got an offer. Usually the people who, are, who come to your open house, that first open house, usually are the most educated buyers. They know what's out there. And as soon as a new thing hits the market, boom, they're there. So if you're not getting offers, that tells you something. And mm-hmm. if you are getting offers, it could be your best. So you have to be careful. Sometimes sellers go, too fast. The offer came in too fast. Let's wait more. That could be one of the worst decisions you make. So I, I would say it's not necessarily the best. I would never say it's definitely the best. Look, we've all, got, we've all waited a few weeks and then a better offer came along, 100%. right? Always have. But it could very well be I best. think it's based on market too because in a, in a declining market or in a market that's kind of not so great, you know, sometimes you do get your best offer up front and then everything from there on can be, you know, downhill. Sometimes. It's right. always a moving target. Sellers are starting to come down in price to get deals done. Agree? For sure. Yep. 
I think one of the things that's changing about the you know early offer being your best offer thing in this market is buyers are becoming more accustomed to the fact that listings are sitting on the market longer. Mm-hmm. And so this whole idea of like, oh my God, it's been on the market for three hours and it hasn't sold what's wrong with it is no longer a reality in the market. So you're seeing properties on the market 60, 90 days that are now getting good offers coming in and there isn't the same stigma that there was a couple of years ago. In 2015, if the property was on the market for 30 days, it was clearly overpriced and something was wrong with it. Right. Now it's sort of like that everybody's on the market for 30 days. All right, or more. Or more. more. (laughs) Yes. Why is it a great market to trade up? We talked about this a couple of times, uh, a couple of weeks ago on the show. Why is it a great time to trade up? People don't understand this, but it is the truth. It's basic math. I mean, so uh, a lower price property moves down 10% and a higher price property moves down 10%. It's a mathematical gain to trade up. It's just simple math. They also say uh, landlords are willing to give concessions more than they're willing to lower rent. Why is that? Yeah, l- landlords, a few reasons. Um, one of the main reasons is that if you're a landlord, you know the market could change. It could change in a few months. It could change in a year. You ideally want that base rent to be as high as possible. So you ideally don't want to touch the base rent. You'd rather give an incentive. Here's a month free. Why here's is two that months though? free. Why is that? Because you, when you negotiate the next year as a you landlord, a number. you want to negotiate off that higher number. Um, so it, and the other reason is if it, depending if there's a bank involved, refinance, you, you want mean, your and, and rent for, and for comps, I mean, correct. Right. And you want your rent roll to be as high as yeah. possible. So it looks better for a bank and for refinancing. Pull money out. Thing. Yeah. 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 Sellers must strategize to uh, create an urgency with their listings to stand out in order to sell over everybody else. Right. Do we tell sellers they need to create an urgency? And by the way, what is, what, what, <laughs> What constitutes an urgency to a seller? Yes, they have to sell. Well, I only want to sell if I get my price. What about this? What about that? How do you strategize with them to create that urgency to sell now? Because this is a marketplace where everybody wants to sell, but not everybody is selling now. I think it's a couple things. So first off, I think it's the way that you strategically price. So we always mm-hmm. talk to sellers about, you know, there's that seller that says, I want one, five, two, five. And we say to them that $25,000 incremental bump is you're out of your mind, put it at one, four, nine, nine. And all of a sudden you're getting many more eyeballs for people that are looking up to one, five, both logistically online and psychologically in their minds when they're thinking about searching. Yeah. So there's incremental search brackets, not to give street easy any credit, but the online <laughs> aggregators, uh, have shifted a little bit um, how incrementally we search. You can always put in a custom bracket, but a Absolutely. lot of buyers don't. No, right. don't. So I think that's one of the things. And I think the second thing is when you get offers, respond to them aggressively, counter all offers, and respond as if you really want to sell. This whole like, oh, it's too low. I don't want to respond to that. I'll wait type response. The buyer just walks. Yeah. They simply a lot walk of, away. A lot of options nowadays, too. Yeah. It's, they, a great, they, it's a great point. They, it's amazing how they just walk. They literally I, I, walk away. Yeah, they just go, and that's the end of it. And, mm. and people say, well, what happened? You know, you can see the dust flying. It's like, where do they go? <laughs> you can see the dust flying. And they, and they, and they literally don't come back. I mean, it's, yeah. it's quite amazing. Yeah. Uh, there are no isolated areas to this down cycle anymore. No isolated areas. Price points. I mean, they say everything, every price point. I kind of disagree with that because I've seen from December through January, maybe into February, the three to five million dollar price point seems to be heating up or at least moving. I'm not going to say it's on fire because it isn't, but moving is that um, I yeah, I agree with you, Vince. So I think there's always submarkets. So I don't know if I would say everything's getting affected the same way. I, I'm right. not sure that's what it, what it was saying anyway. But no. the point, though, is that I do think there are always submarkets. And you, whenever I'm pricing something for a seller, the final step in the process is always okay. Now I'm a buyer. Let me pretend I'm a buyer and do a specific search 
or you know, a two bedroom, one bath in that specific neighborhood. I'm a buyer. What are my other options? This is like one of the most critical things that unfortunately when people are pricing up properties, they do not do. And it's so critical because sometimes you realize, oh my gosh, there's like nothing at all. If you're a buyer looking for that specific thing, there's nothing. And then you could price, yeah. you, it could affect the way you price it. Unique properties though is still very difficult in this particular marketplace to uh, to price something that's really you know div- different, very unique. Whether it's a different neighborhood, a different building, a different layout, whatever, it's very hard to price. And you know you've got to really kind of comb the area. And oh, by the way, you know we used to go back at least a year in comps. You really can only go back six months, not even in some cases four months, because yeah. a lot of stuff, you know, a, a lot of numbers have changed uh, through the time. I don't know what is it. We've got about 30 seconds left. So what is the prediction? You know, we're in February of, of 2019, brand new year, first quarter. Where are we going throughout this year? Is it going to be another, is it going to be a repeat of 18 or is it going to be something a little different? I think it's all seems to think it's going to be a great market on the commercial side. I think it's going to be a repeat of 2018 from based, based on what we're seeing. I think it's an extension of the end of last year. Okay. Thank yeah, similar. I, I say the same with sales, but rentals may have a little bit of a bump. I'm feeling this year. You think so? I think so. Yeah. I'm Somebody just that. asked me that question yesterday, and I'm I said that. I don't think so. I think it's going to be flat. But I, a I little bit. I, I think I'm not going to say. I think for I'm sure. a tiny little bit. All right, that's our broadcast for this morning. Mm-hmm. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to my guests Paul Massey and the panel, uh, Phil, Ari, and Niall. As always, shoot for the moon, everyone. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. And the only person you should try to be better than is the person you were. Yesterday, be kind to one another and for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us, and I'll see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. We'll be right back.